Hello and welcome to the Mash Those Buttons monthly MASHcast. I'm Jarrett. This is Rob. I'm Long. And uh, this is going to be our monthly podcast, you know, just talking about uh, games, news, and topics, you know, for things that happened in the past month, things that are happening in the gaming industry, and also just what we expect to see in the the next month, or I should say the current month that we're in. Uh, We're just going to get right into it. Uh, Let's talk about what everybody was playing last month in January. Uh, Rob, you go ahead. Uh, let's see. Um, I took a little trip back on memory lane. Figured I would go back to some RPGs that I uh, hadn't really messed with in a while. So I've been playing Sukunen 5 for PS2. Uh, outside of that, really been messing around with uh, NBA 2K11, Borderlands, replaying that again, um, and a couple of PlayStation Network titles, Shatter and Costume Quest. That's been pretty much what I've been playing the last month. All right. What about you, Juan? Um, As far as me, um, every now and then, Casually playing Super Street Fighter 4, Blaze Blue, Continuum Shift. Uh, picked up a Wii over the Christmas holiday, so I've been playing a little bit of No More Heroes on that and also Muramasa. Um, as far as PC, uh, played a little bit of Ares um, because it was released on Steam recently. And as far as gaming on the go, um, Nights in the Nightmare has really been occupying my time on the PSP. All right. Well, I haven't really been playing anything new. Well, nothing newly released, I should say. I I uh, opened Enslaved. Now, mind you, I bought this game the day it came out. <laughs> I opened Enslaved the first week of January because I had off. So I played through that, and I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was I thought it was good, and I was really uh, saddened that it did it didn't do so well in terms of sales. But it was it was definitely a good game. It was probably the one of the best looking games I've ever seen. To be honest with you, and the voiceovers were great. Um, Halo Reach I opened up and I played that and I gotta be honest with you really having a tough time playing through it <laughs> just because like I, I'm I'm getting so bored playing it the gameplay just to me doesn't seem like it, it's changed since Halo 2 <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but that's I, I, I'm having such a hard time and more than likely it's gonna get traded in it's such a shame because I like the story of Halo and you know this one is kind of like a precursor to Halo 1. Well, it is a precursor to Halo 1. And I want to see what's happening, but if I can't play through it, I can't play through it. Uh, yeah. But in terms of games that I actually liked playing, uh, I played through uh, the Night Sky, which uh, was a was a good, was a fun puzzle game. Nothing too difficult. You know, just a you know, good game to play for a couple hours. Bite Jacker. Had a blast. I, I uh, got to thank the guys over at Secret Base. They gave me early access to the game. And I, it's I've had I had a blast playing the game. Had such a good time. Uh, and that's a free um, flash game for anybody that they can go play. You'll, you'll have you'll have a great time. Um, Ballistic just came out uh, actually on Friday um, from Radiant Games, and that I've been having a I've played that a little bit, and that's a good game. But you know I think all of his games have received over a four. So, you know, I was I was really expecting it. A four on our site, you know, four out of five. So I was expecting that game to be good, which didn't disappoint. And I've also been playing Score Rush. Have you guys tried out Score Rush at all? Have not. Have not yeah. here. It is it is probably the best dollar you're gonna spend in a long time. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. Cause it uh you can play you can just jump in and play for two minutes. You could jump in and play for thirty minutes. Like when I'm waiting for StarCraft matches to load up, I'm playing I'm playing Score Rush. It's such an awesome game, but that's that's pretty much what I've been playing. Um, 
But uh, let's see what co- what major game releases that we have this month. Um, let's see, Dead Space Two, that came out. Uh, anybody played Dead Space Two yet? I only messed with the demo, but if anybody is interested in you know somebody that has played the game, the review's up on our site. Jason played it. Yeah, um, I had spoke with Jason about uh, the game uh, throughout him doing the review and everything and he was really impressed he had said that you know just it's amazing what two years of waiting and patience and will turn out for a sequel to the first dead space uh, which I'll, I'll personally say myself loved the first dead space it was great it was like what resident evil used to be yeah i also too i did like the first dead space but um i for some reason i don't know it's not that i didn't want to but I just didn't pick up the second one, at least not yet. I guess maybe because I've been you know, busy doing other stuff. But uh, I am looking forward to playing it whenever I get a chance. But I still have a stack of games here from months past that are not that's that's still not opened. You know, yeah, like I mean, I, if you're uh, if you're opening up stuff that came out uh, in August, you know, you might want to catch up first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still, so I guess that's another reason. Um, but actually, I do a quick funny story. Like I, I was um I was playing a game with a friend. We were on vent. And I hear this, like, scream in the background. And it's a manly scream. You know, it's like a guy screaming. I'm like, hey, what's that? And the guy's like, oh, that's just my dad. He's just playing Dead Space 2. But <laughs> it was funny because <laughs> I, not only did I, did I hear the scream, but I hear a scream followed by, like, a whole bunch of gunshots. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> just someone being killed in my house. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no, somebody, you know, home invasion. Somebody's uh, robbing the place. Don't worry about it. Zerg Rush, by the way. you know what i'm saying so yeah but uh yeah so we got dead space 2 um little big planet 2 what do you what are you guys thinking about that well um i mean it's it is a it is more of what was in the first but much like you know the the intention it's a lot more of you know everything that was good about the first one a lot more creativity involved with you know how much you can do with things now there's little animatronic robots you can stop whole dance sequences all the levels carried over from the first little big planet into this one so anything that you played online that you liked in little big planet one can still do that still got multiplayer uh pretty much like any genre you can think of they've covered you know between you know stuff that people have made online and the vid in the game you know the actual levels that they have pre you know pre-installed with the game um they even went and did the guinness book of world records for little big planet 2 uh i don't even remember how many records they set but i know there was like uh the longest time played like a single game in like a single setting um, in addition to like a number of genres played within a single game in, in a single sitting, which, you know, of course would be a big forte for little big planet and a few other things too. But, uh, interesting, fun. You know. Um, as far as, uh, me, I've heard a lot from our writer, Mikey, who's part of the Masters Buttons Dallas staff. He's been playing it and he's just staggered with just the amount of creativity that's come out of it. Cause, um, of course, for those who've been following the news on it, um, some of the beta testers had created games um, from just all sorts of different genres. You ha- you'll have things like a real-time strategy, first-person shooter, racing games, arena games, just any genre imaginable. It's been made with the Little Big Planet 2 engine, and I know just um, our writer Mikey's just been surprised. He was like, you know, you just pop online, and holy crap, they're just like, hundreds of thousands of different little levels, games, and 
creations just made by the community that's online. And uh, as uh, Rob had just said, you know, just same thing as the first game, just lots of the play, share, create mantra that was created from the first game, and it's being carried over into the sequel again. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I enjoyed a little Big Planet 1. A uh, little Big Planet two. I'm not necessarily sure if I'm gonna get it, only because Little Big Planet is one of those games that never ends, and I have a problem with never-ending games. <laughs> you, know, I, you mean, I, um, you mean the whole uh, gamer's anxiety that it has to end, or else it's just not finished. Exactly. Like I have to. I need. I need some some type of confirmation to say you've beaten this game. You've defeated this game. It is time to move on. And if I can't get that. It's, there's like a hole in my life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and know, that's it's, exactly what it's intended for. They even put out a commercial with Kevin Butler that's like, you know, you don't know when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's just like, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Like, who am I? I, I can't beat this game. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I, um, even, I, I hear it's a, it's a great game, and I, I saw a lot of the, uh, a lot of like on Kotaku and Joystick a lot of the mods that people were coming up for, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's really cool. But once again, back to my stack of games that are sitting here unopened. <laughs> you know, I need, yeah. to, <laughs> I need to finish this stuff. So, I think all of us on the site can share the sentiment of um, just having a giant stack of games because, I mean, of course, I'm, I have a huge backlog now, especially with the fact that um, I have a Wii now, and I'm being suggested games here and there for the Wii and games here and there for the PS3 and games for the 360 and games for the P and PSP. So, yeah, I am right there with you on that giant backlog of stuff. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, the last one, well, I guess for notable releases, um, we, we want to note Mass Effect 2 for the PS3. And yes, it already has been released for the for the 360, but there weren't really that many notable major games that came out in January. So you know, we 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 figured you know we might as well talk about this one. Well, not necessarily talk about it, but at least noted that it came out for the PS3. Um, you know, the reviews are already out for the PS, not for PS2, but I'm sorry for the uh, 360 version. So you already know about it. But here, well, not in here, but um, from what I've read. There has the the graphics are improved. Like the graphics from Mass Effect 2 and the PS3 are the same that the Mass Effect 3 engine is going to use. And uh, also, there was some the PS3 version comes with all the DLCs. Is that correct? Yes, has all the DLCs. Um, you don't get Mass Effect 1, of course. Um, so, but they did actually include a way for you to be able to make all those choices that you made in Mass Effect 1 on the 360 uh, by having like a kind of like a interactive graphic graphic comic um, that you actually can make those choices and stuff at those junctures so that your game will reflect it in Mass Effect 2, which I thought was pretty cool in lieu of having the entire full first game. That's cool. Yeah, I um, actually, I had Mass Effect 1 for the 360. And first of all, the loading times really, really threw me off. And at the time, like, I was just like, this game is too massive. Like, I'm never going to have time to beat this game. And I wanted to trade it in. And then on the Steam Summer Sale, I managed to get Mass Effect 1 and 2 limited editions with the soundtrack for $25 total. So I was like, well, now I have to buy the game. And I started playing Mass Effect 1 on the, on the PC again, which I enjoy it so much more. Uh, the frame rate is much higher. The loading screens are non—they're almost non-existent. Like you see the thing spin around once, and then you're done. 
Um, <laughs> that's, that is much better. Speaking of somebody who played the 360 version of both, yeah, it's like you, it's like that. That is much better, and I want to play that. I want to have time to play that and get into it. But the fact remains that it's still a massive game, and I have my stack of games here. I have game from the Steam sales last summer that I still have not played. I just bought because they were so cheap. So it's ridiculous that between you know the time the stuff I do on the site. And, and you know, pretty much with everything else and built in the other websites and stuff like that, I have to schedule time to play games. That's my life right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, like, he lives a hard life, people. He lives a really difficult life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we all at the site, we can sympathize with him, believe us. <laughs> all right, so yeah, that's it for, for major game releases, but... Uh, we also want to know a couple indie game releases that came out this month. Um, Night Sky is one, and that is uh, the latest game from Nicholas Nygren. He also made uh, Saria and Knit Stories, for any of you who have played those. Those were, were great games. But Night Sky is basically it's a, it's a puzzle game, and you're basically a sphere, and you have to take your sphere and get it from one end of the puzzle to the other. But of course, you have things in your way, and you have to figure out how to get across. Most of the game is used; it's about using physics, the physics of the ball, and the ball has different powers on different levels, and stuff like that. All, overall, it's a really good game. I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's nothing too difficult. Um, there are there is a normal mode, and then there is a even more difficult mode that you can play through. Um, that one is a bit more challenging, of course, but uh, it's a good game. So that's one notable one. Bite Jacker. I think is a must play. It is uh it's a uh it's a, it's, it's a flash game from Secret Base. Um also if anybody knows of the the show Bite Jacker from Revision 3, uh the stars of that game are the uh the guys from Bite Jacker. Um the game is fun and it is it's kind of hilarious too like tons of one-liners. Um but at the same time it's not cheesy. It's a, it's a zombie game. But it's not a real, it's not like a, uh, you know, just mow down zombies and get to the exit type of game. You know, it doesn't work like that. Um, we have a review on the site, so I'm not going to get too into it. Um, you can go to the site and look at the review because I explain some of the gameplay mechanics and things that you need to do uh, to actually beat the game. But, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a good game. I recommend playing it. Um, the last one uh, that we wanted to note and mention was Ballistic from Radiant Games. Uh, once, like I said earlier... It's a great game, having a lot of fun. Um, in my opinion, it's a bit more challenging than a lot of his other games. Uh, it's also the most polished, um, from what I can see. And uh, this will be the last of his monthly series because uh, Luke from, Luke Schneider from Radiant Games has been uh, releasing, you know, at least one game a month, you know, for the last several months. So this is going to be the last of that series. And the, from what I hear, he's he's looking to port his uh, game Crossfire over to PCs and call it Super Crossfire. Uh, but it's going to be more than a port. Um, from what I understand about it right now, it is uh, going to be Crossfire 1 and 2, I believe. And it's going to have some additional modes, so you know we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, those are the, the monthly, or the notable monthly indie releases uh, that we thought you should, you should know about if you haven't already played them. Uh, but in terms of news... Um, quite a couple things, you know, this month with news, we, uh, you know, CES was the beginning of the month, and in terms of gaming, uh, one thing we definitely wanted to talk about was the Switchblade concept, uh, that you saw at CES, it's, it's Razer's answer to, like, Netbook and portable gaming, I think Long knows the most about that, so I'm gonna let you take that one, Long. 
Um, okay, well, as Jared introduced, uh, the Razer Switchblade, it's Razer's uh, little concept uh, netbook-sized device. Uh, I want to say, um, basically, it's their way of proving that uh, the whole the whole rumor that uh, the only gaming that can exist as a portable is really downscaled games, uh, which can only exist on devices like the Nintendo DS, and PSP, and then onto more ubiquitous things like um, iPhones, iPads, iPod Touches, Android phones, and Android tablets. Uh, but basically, Razer wanted to change the mindset of the computer gamer who wants to be mobile but doesn't want to lug around like a 15, six, uh, 15 to 17-inch laptop uh, and be able to still play their games in very crisp resolutions and everything. So the concept uh, basically has like some reactive keys and everything, which uh, essentially look like they have, um, I want to say OLEDs, but I uh, don't think... Razer has really made a final decision on what type of uh, keys that they'll be, but basically how they work is whatever game you're playing, the, the keyboard will react and change into whatever uh, keys are required for the game. So, for example, like if you're playing World of Warcraft, um, the keys that are normally WASD will actually change to your uh, walk forward, walk back, strafe left, strafe right arrows, and then your number row from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 0, those will actually change from the respective numbers to whatever's equipped on your hotbar in WoW, for example. And then let's say uh, you're done playing WoW and you end up switching to another game like Quake Live. Then in Quake Live, your number row turns into your weapon bar. So you basically can change between your machine gun, your shotgun, your rocket launcher, etc., and so on and so forth for every other game. And Racer is supposedly saying that it's going to be Wi-Fi and 3G equipped. So uh, basically the mobile gamer can connect uh, via Wi-Fi or if they're completely away from a Wi-Fi hotspot, then they'll be able to play via cell phone towers and everything. Um, Razer is trying to say that the clientele is going to cover uh, basically the desktop PC gamer who does not want to be separated from their desktop PC games and they're basically saying that this is a concept for now there's no there's no final announcement on a price or um, when it's going to be coming out or anything like that so for right now it's really just a piece in concept and as far as my impressions I think it's a very very admirable step to fight the trend that uh, mobile gaming can only be downscaled but in my opinion, I think the Razer Switchback is really just a concept exercise in Razer's uh, manufacturing of peripheral devices. Because I could easily see them taking the keyboard that they have for the Switchback, or excuse me, Switchblade, and applying it for something like a keyboard that has reactive keys. But um, what do you guys think? And uh, let me start off with Rob. What are your impressions, Rob? Uh, cool concept. Um... It's definitely something that shows off what, you know, mobile gaming could be like. Uh, I mean, it's all of about seven inches, like it's about the size of like a hardback book, you know, a smaller one actually. Uh, so it's like, you know, almost palm sized. It makes me wonder a little bit about, it. it, it uh, impressions were that the, the LCD were was very crisp and everything. Um, it does make me wonder though, that being that small, like how much detail you're going to get, especially in some of the, like the more chaotic, you know, 
PC games and things like that you'd be looking at. Um, uh, I mean, there's a lot that's up in the air about it. I mean, it's supposed to run the Intel Atom chip, but there's no idea, like, you know, what, you know, what exactly, you know, which one it's going to run on. Uh, no idea of memory. It really is very much a prototype, but it's a, you know, a very cool prototype. Uh, it's very slick. Um, if it, you know, it'd be nice to see what comes out of it, you know, how much it, depending on how much it costs and things like that. Um, I don't know about, you know, how much I would have in it personally, but it does have a lot of potential as far as, you know, it's something that's an option for people who don't want to lug around like, you know, a lot of high-end laptop, you know, gaming devices or they're, they're barely laptops. <laughs> they're, they're like, you know, PCs and stuff. Um, and for anybody who wants something that is still portable, you know, if somebody's looking to play a specific game like, say, WoW, which is, I think was one of the things that were was shown off on it mostly, um, you know, it's definitely a cool alternative to be able to just, you know, plop that thing open and just, you know, be able to sit down real quick, play, uh, fold it up and go about your business, you know, something that's small enough to almost fit in your back pocket or, you know, nothing you have to like pull out and hook up to a power source and things like that. So very cool. Very cool concept. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I I think the concept is cool. The, my thing is a few things though. Uh, first of all, it's, it's not for me, obviously too small, you know, I'm six, three, my hands are not going to work with that <laughs> with that device, uh, you know. I was even I was considering even getting like an MX11 uh, for the power in terms of like mobile gaming, but I was like, you know, for LAN parties, I was like, well, I'd still have to take a keyboard with me and a and a and a monitor because that even that setup would be too small. But it's too small for me, and I can't spend justify spending that money on a netbook uh, that just plays games. You know, like uh, it's gonna be like around four or five hundred bucks, and I just can't, like I, I just can't see spending that money. Uh, and another thing is that PC games, like, I can understand people want to play PC games on the go, but PC games are are built for you know larger screens. Like a lot of PC games, are, they're not they just it, they just won't work on small screens, you know. But mm, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. <laughs> like I don't have too much on it. Uh, once I saw it, I thought, oh, yeah, it's cool, but it's not for me. Yeah, I'm going to definitely share your sentiment on the price because um, it's going to be a really pricey toy, and that's really what it's going to be, a toy at that. Um, especially the fact, I mean, yeah, sure, it's got the capacitative touchscreen on, uh, on the laptop display that it has, but, I mean, just with all the bells and whistles that it's got, it's going to be a really pricey little netbook that, really doesn't have much purpose other than to play games. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. You know, it's a concept for now, so we'll see what they come up with. Um, you know, if it's good, it, that's great. If not, that's all right, too, because I really wasn't interested in it anyway. That's just for me. Uh, moving on, though, one thing that I am interested in is the PlayStation phone. Uh, some information was uh, brought out about that. Uh, it's named the Xperia Play, right? Correct, Long? Xperia Play? Yeah, um, that's basically what uh, Sony and Sony Ericsson have d- decided to dub the device. Uh, for the biggest while, it was basically rumored as the supposed PlayStation phone. A couple of Chinese websites had basically, I guess you can say, stole a couple of their prototype guinea pigs out of the factory. And basically, we're showing them off, dissecting the thing, going, hey, look, it's got this part, this part, and this part. 
But um, general specs are basically 4-inch LCD um, with a resolution of about 854 by 480, um, 1 gigahertz uh, Qualcomm processor on it, and, and a, a pretty pretty stout CPU for, or excuse me, GPU for the graphics. And it will be equipped with a micro SD slot, so you'll have plenty of room to download games and things like that onto it. And as far as things go for the software backend of the phone. It's going to be running Android 2.3 with the Xperia Play build on it, so it'll basically look like the PlayStation trademark XMB interface that if you own a PlayStation 3 or a PSP, you'll be very familiar with. And really just, it basically has two shoulder buttons, uh, a D-pad, two little analog trackpads from what it looks like, and the trademark PlayStation face buttons, a start select and PlayStation button on it, and a functioning touchscreen, of course, and camera. So basically, your your standard your standard uh, cell phone, but with a slider element that hides all of your gaming keys. And as far as the gaming software goes, um, I believe from what Sony had said from their little uh, Sony conference that they had earlier this week in Japan. Basically, the phone will have a um, PlayStation a PlayStation for Android application on there that'll basically be churning out games that are made for uh, phones that meet the specification requirements of the PlayStation phone. So I would assume that Sony is also hoping to market to other people who do have Android phones, but they don't want to get in on the uh, PlayStation phone itself. But anyhow, as far as the concept of the phone itself, it's it's interesting. Uh, we'll just have to see how it does because the specs are really kind of bare at this point. Yeah, I, uh, I'm well. I'm not gonna say I'm not an advocate for mobile gaming on phones. Um, it's just that my thing about mobile gaming on phones, for the most part, is that there's only so much you can do with a touchscreen, and you know, on the on the iPhone and on the Android devices, that's pretty much all you, you got. You know, you got games like Angry Birds, which are great because they use touchscreen fine, but then you have other games that really try to use touchscreen, and in my opinion, your finger just winds up getting in the way. Uh, with the PlayStation phone and having the analog trackpads, I think that can really open up the gaming space on phones. You know, with with a, with a design like that, I think it, it can really. I think if you if you're interested in mobile gaming, if that's what you're buying a phone for, I think it'll attract uh, people like that. Um, you got anything anything to say, Rob? Eh, not much. I mean, it it is nice to basically what you said that it does open up more possibilities for because at least you have you know in the pace of having like a physical keyboard or something in the slide out, you've got you know the actual gaming buttons. Um, you know, you're looking at something that's probably at least as powerful as, you know, the PSB has been in the past, uh, with the ability to be able to get other games, you know, things out there on the marketplace for like Android and things like that, you know, that you possibly would be able, able to program to use with the, you know, the face buttons and make them better. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, gaming phone. <laughs> just a you know an improved gaming phone right now i mean it's it, it looks cool it, you know it looks sleek you know from pictures and stuff i've seen of it but you know i mean it's nothing you guys haven't covered yet yeah all right well, well we'll keep an eye on it and of course on the site we'll have more information as it comes along um but now for a topic that i think weighs on the the hearts of all of us 
is the the that is the the more than likely closure of Bazaar. Uh, when I heard this news, I was very, <laughs> I was very upset. But uh, we'll get to my thoughts later. Uh, Rob, what what are you thinking? Um, basically, for anybody who didn't know, uh, Bazaar, uh, you know, Makers PGR, uh, Galaxy or Geometry Wars, not Galaxy Wars. That'd be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they also did uh, Blur most recently, as well as the uh, James Bond game, Bloodstone. Um, basically, Blur, which was a game that they were banking on a lot, didn't really do that well. Not because it wasn't, you know, not because it was a bad game or anything. It just didn't fare that well in the marketplace. Um, and as, you know, time has shown, that's really where Activision's concerns lie. You know, what is, the, you know, how things do in the marketplace and if they can get something as like a yearly, you know, install that they can bring out and, you know, just pump out year after year and get money off of it. Uh, Blur apparently, you know, to them didn't, you know, come out as something that they can do that with. Um, and it put Bazaar in some jeopardy. Uh, basically, end of the year came around and... Uh, Activision, you know, said that they were going to shop Bazaar around, <laughs> which within the course of two, three months turned into, uh, we're going to recommend you close. Not, you know, not really the coolest way to do business. It wasn't, you know, not really much in the way of options as far as like, uh, from what I've seen of or heard or read, uh, as far as, uh, you know, people in Bazaar being able to, you know, given any other options, you know, people getting folded in anywhere else, really, it was pretty much just, you know, shutter your studio. Uh, we'll give you some grief counseling. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a rough way to go for somebody, you know, a developer that's made, you know, made good games. They've got a track record. It's, it's not like they were a terrible developer or something. Um, it sucks. You know, I, unfortunately, you know, that's how Activision does things as much as it's, you know, gets tired to beat the dead horse that Activision's the evil empire. It's kind of true because that's how they do things. Um, it's, you know, another victim, really. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe they'll be able to turn it around and get somebody to, you know, pick them up or maybe reform a new studio. You know, only time will tell, but it is kind of a sad ending to something like that. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Long? Um... Bizarre has a very special place in my heart. Um, I remember back in the old Dreamcast days uh, when Metropolis Street Racer came out. Um, me naturally being a racing fan, I was like, hey, you know, this is kind of cool. Something that's not another racing sim because back in that time, you know, there were tons of racing sims. You had like the Sega GT series, you had Gran Turismo, and quite frankly, I was just kind of bored of uh, the racing sim. Uh, fad that was going on back then so naturally i was just like you know let's let's give this game a chance let's really play with it and then the whole mechanic of you know um stylish driving rewards you with like points and stuff like that and so people could basically a uh, flaunt their scores off online when you'd play online and everything that was really cool and that's what charmed me too bizarre and then eventually when uh, bizarre was picked up by microsoft and gave birth to the uh, Project Gotham series, I almost religiously followed them throughout the Project Gotham line of games. And, um, you know, it was really cool. And then, of course, there was the the whole, oh, yeah, well, Bizarre's free to create whatever the games they want. They're no longer under the um, yoke of Microsoft. So, you know, just I was going, okay, cool. You know, I'm looking forward to some really cool original games from them because um, Jarrett had mentioned before the podcast, they were also behind um, the one oddball title of Bizarre uh, being Fur Fighters. 
So, you know, I was just expecting more really quirky, unique titles. And then, of course, 2000, uh, 2010 rolled around, and, you know, we got Blur, which was really cool. And um, I'm sure most of uh, the listeners who are listening to this know our thoughts as a collective for Blur uh, after seeing our Little Versus podcast. And then uh, there was also the James Bond Bloodstone game, which um, was kind of hit or miss. Either you liked it or you didn't. It was really the general consensus of folks um, all around the internet and um, places here and there. But then uh, when when I'd heard that basically Activision had did a sales call and said, you know, um, Blur uh, didn't really sell as well as we hoped, so we're going to have to find a new suitor for for Bazaar. I got really worried because I was just like, no, this this can't happen. You know, Blur was awesome. What What gives? And then, of course... Uh, within the subsequent weeks, then we have uh, the announcement of, oh yeah, uh, Bazaar's basically being ordered to close because Activision couldn't find a buyer who's willing to pay the ransom price. And of course, here we are again where uh, Activision's being uh, being looked at as the evil ogre of the whole situation. And it was just really depressing to hear that because on top of the announcement of them being closed, uh, being closed down by Activision, Microsoft had also been announcing that they're basically looking for someone to program the new installment of Project Gotham Racing. And just to hear them close their door uh, to the public, that was really sad. Yeah. Um, with me, uh, first of all, I was, just, I was very upset that they were, they were closing down because I loved PGR. I loved Project Gotham. Uh, well, yeah, well, PGR. I loved uh, Metropolis Street Racer. I absolutely loved Blur, which, you know, long is right. If you, you know, more, more than likely, if you listen to this, you've heard our uh, our Versus podcast on Blur versus Need for Speed. And, uh, you know, Blur was awesome. And, uh, you know, I, there's really not, I mean, even Geometry, Geometry Wars was awesome. Nobody can deny that. I really haven't seen Bizarre release a bad game. Um, Bloodstone being the only questionable one, but I haven't played that. That is actually sitting in my stack of games. Yeah, even that I heard wasn't, you know, a bad game. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't a great game, but it wasn't a terrible by any stretch. I mean, they've been terrible James Bond games, and it wasn't a terrible one. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, uh, you know, when when I heard that they would recommend closure, first thing I thought was, like, Activision must be asking for too much money. And I don't even know why you would do that. Like, why, like, if you're not going to have the studio anymore if you're gonna tell them to close why not just get the money you can and sell them to somebody the pgr series alone is a reason to pick up this developer to develop racing games obviously they know how to make good racing games you know what i'm saying so you know why why are you having such a hard time finding a buyer it's not like they released a bunch of duds you know time after time you got one questionable uh like i said bloodstone uh you have blur which in my opinion is a victim of circumstance you release Blur a week after Red Dead Redemption and Alan Wake. You release it at the same time as Split Second, which got more definitely got more advertising in than Blur. Um, even Mod Nation Racers, like you have, you can't you, Blur's experimental title. You really can't release it around all this, this major stuff. Um, I can almost guarantee if Blur was released either earlier or later, it would have done much better. Uh, but, you know, Activision only sees dollars, you know, and, well, I, I shouldn't say just Activision only sees dollars. A lot of major publishers like that, or every major publisher like that, if it doesn't make dollars, then, you know, they won't keep it around, but still. If it doesn't make know. dollars, it don't make sense. 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But, I, you know, it, it was a victim of circumstance, if you ask me. And I was very upset. And uh, I'm really hoping that something happens. I hope that either the development team, team, uh, the development team stays together or something happens and they get bought by somebody. Please hear my cry. Somebody keep these guys together. It's like breaking up the Jackson 5. Come on. You know, don't, don't, just don't do it. Please. <laughs> but um, yeah, moving on from that, uh, I guess the last two biggest pieces of news that we have is the... Handheld the war. Up- <laughs> 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 you stole the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> the handheld war, you know, the the upcoming battle with the 3DS versus the NGP. Um, you know, Nintendo 3DS is coming out, and I gotta be honest with you, I'm really not liking what I'm hearing. First thing I'm seeing is 250 uh, 250 bucks for a handheld console. It's like, really? I mean, you can buy a 360 for $200, <laughs> you know? But 250 bucks for the 3DS. Um, we're going to go around. Rob, tell me what you're thinking. Um, it's too much money. <laughs> too much money. I mean, you know, I mean, we'll get to it, but I mean, depending on, you know, what the NGP comes out at, I mean, yes, we could be setting a new status quo for, you know, handheld gaming. It's still too much money to me, uh, especially for what it does. I mean, it is a better version of the DS. I mean, it's got 3D. It's got, you know, more capability than the DS. Um, It's prettier. I mean, you know, games that they've shown off have shown that, you know, Street Fighter and Metal Gear and, you know, Resident Evil even, um, you know, it's shown off. It has, you know, it has some power behind it. Um, You know, stuff like battery life not being that great, uh, it doesn't really have, to me, enough new features to really warrant that price. Um, I mean, you you have basically a DS that has 3D and an analog stick and worse battery life. That's, to me, you know, at, at brass tacks, when I look at it, that's what I see. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily fair, but, you know, that's just my impression. Um, we'll see. I mean, game, you know, system coming out at 250 games coming out at 40 to 50 bucks a pop, that's rough. I mean, that's really rough for something that's supposed to be accessible and, you know, kind of open to everybody and something you can, you know, just carry around with you. It's a chunk of change. It's not really a big surprise seeing prices like that and the way prices are, are slowly creeping up on handheld gaming that people are turning to mobile gaming. <laughs> so, I don't know. What about you, Long? Um, As far as uh, my impressions on the 3DS, it's a very interesting departure for Nintendo. Um, because uh, a while back when the PSP came out, um, Satoru Iwata had basically said, you know, that's that's really disturbing. You know, you have a system that has three hours worth of battery life and you're touting it as a portable? Yeah, that's not very portable. And then here we are, the 3DS totally contradicts what Satoru Iwata had said years ago about the um, PSP. So there you go. That's that's my first stickling point. Poor battery life. That's That's really a bad thing. Um, not too big a fan of the 3D thing because, um, me personally, I think 3D is a big fad right now. Um, and we can blame that on James Cameron. I kid, I kid. Um, on top of that, the pricing, as Rob said, really rough. 40, 50 bucks for a cartridge, um, to go into uh, the device. Man, that's, that's about right on line with a value titled, um, PS3 game, uh, Xbox 360 game. Or close to a brand new Wii game, and that's a real big chunk of change. And um, really, just I don't like the DLC and downloadable game management that 
Nintendo's put on it because they basically said, oh, yeah, if you buy your purchases on the 3DS, yeah, you can't transfer them ever. But I would assume that in the case that if your system is under warranty with Nintendo and everything, they could probably send you a replacement unit, and then you would have to have Nintendo transfer all of your purchases onto your new refurbished um, 3DS. But, yeah, just all in all, I... I'm really going to have to wait and see how it does or wait for a second revision on the 3DS. But yeah, definitely not purchasing the first one. Um, Jared, what about you, man? Well, I guess the first thing i got to say is I've had a DS since since release. Since the first day it came out, I've had it. And I mean, like, it's a nice system and all, but to me, like I didn't get that much gameplay value, you know, value out of it. So just to hear, first of all, the price point of the 3DS, like 250, automatically I'm like, up, oh, not worth it, <laughs> because unless they're coming out with some some really good titles for me to play, um, I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to get my money's worth out of it. Um, you know, you, both of you guys brought it up, the the poor battery life, not really feeling that, because um, even in my opinion, like, I don't think the PSP has that bad of a battery life like i've played games for for hours even the newer games that have the acceleration of the processor and they, they warn you uh you know turning this on will decrease the battery life like for um i guess to give a good a good example is the kingdom hearts um you know the new Kingdom hearts that came out i i have the accelerator graphics on that and i have played complete sessions without my battery running out uh so but you know three hour battery life i can't even get to vegas on a three hour battery life <laughs> you know, so that, that kind of bothers me because I love going to Vegas. <laughs> so, um, but so yeah, that that was you know a problem there, and overall, I just don't think it was worth it. Like the the price point is the is the big thing for me, and it's still lagging behind. You know, the the graphics are comparable to what you see on a PS2. You know, the 3D thing is uh is a gimmick to me i really don't think that's going to improve gameplay that much you know that's not you know not worth me spending that money uh so yeah i can't even say like, i'm a nintendo fan but i'm not a fan of the ds like out of all the handhelds i've played that one the least um so i guess you know asking me from that from that standpoint you know i can't really say that <laughs> I, I guess my opinion may not be valid to some because I'm, I'm not a DS fan in the first place. I mean, I will say that, you know, Nintendo has tended to make the right moves, you know, regardless of how, I guess, personal input goes into it. You know, I wasn't necessarily, like, a huge fan of the DS either, but somehow, you know, some way they still are, you know, the the juggernaut of handhelds and stuff. I mean, yeah, you can talk about, you know, iPhones and, you know, iPads and things like that and how it's kind of been into their market, but... Uh, really, I mean, at the end of the day, parents aren't necessarily going out and buying an iPad or an iPhone for their, you know, five-year-old to play, you know, play games on. Like, they're still going out and getting a DS or, you know, like a Nintendo handheld. Um, it's it's just like the first kind of like, almost like, it, it's not even like a bad step necessarily, but it almost seems like a stumble. Uh, you know, 3D is not going to change games that much, like Jared said. You know, it has a slider to adjust from you know 2D to 3D because 3D hurts some people's eyes. You know, they're they're talking that kids under like you know the age of six shouldn't even really be using it. it it's like you're you're kind of hurting yourself in different ways with that. Um, 
and the fact that even if even if you do have like 3D enabled on games, it can't affect the games that much because if you're gonna be if you have a slider that says you can go from no 3D at all to 3D, you know, like fully crazy 3D, that the the argument has to go that well if it's not in 3D, if you have the ability to slide it down to no 3D, you have to be able to play it that way too. So it kind of limits game design choices, I think. So I don't know. I just I don't see enough in it that warrants a huge amount of like oh my god crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so uh uh, yeah you know nintendo right now is a defending champ but uh there's a there's a there's a new number one defend uh you know uh contender (laughs) you know coming up and coming up strong and that's the p well the ngp as they're calling it um i think they're gonna (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i'm gonna say it's the psp2 because that's how Sony names things. Even though I did talk to Jason Worsitz, he brought up a, a good point that the um, the PSP didn't do that well in Japan, according to him. He said the PSP didn't do that well, so they may be looking to get away from that name. Uh, you know, so I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. But hey, you'll always be PSP2 to me, baby. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's no, in my opinion, there's no need to code name it. We already know what her name is, but um, so yeah, you got the, you got the PSP two, and you know, you're talking power. Games as powerful as a PS three game or a Xbox three sixty game, and some people are doubting that, but I guess they forgot that when the PSP came out, the graphics were comparable to the uh to the ps2 when the ps2 was in its prime the only difference was the frame rate most of the frame rates i think were around 20 frames per second so that's why i guess a lot of people thought well at least for me i thought that the psp2 to the psp just didn't have that power but now we're getting games that let you you know accelerate the um or i guess just overclock the processor and you're playing like you know PSP two or not PSP two, but um you know PS two games well, they will at be thirty PSP frames two. per second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're playing um PS two games at thirty or you know PS two style graphics games or you know 128 bit at thirty frames per second on the PSP. So when the PSP came out, it was as powerful as the PS two. It's just you know Sony they don't like to release all of their features at one time. That's just what they do. So and that's why we really didn't see it, but. You know the 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 NGP uh, dual analog five inch touchscreen. Um, you know touchscreen on the front, touchpad on the back, dual cameras, one face in the front. You know so you can get your face one face in the back. That will also work for you know as a camera, but of course it'll also do augmented reality games, uh, gyroscope, Wi-Fi, and 3G connection. That is a lot, and um, if they manage to bring that out at about three hundred bucks. Uh, for the for the base model, not with the 3G, I think they can really uh, give Nintendo a run for their money because, the, you know, the, the the games look great. And, of course, games don't, and I was just going to say, like, graphics don't make a, a system or a handheld successful. We have seen that time and time and again with Nintendo, you know, rocking all of their competitors in the handheld space. But, um... You know, there's a lot of developers out there that won't even develop for Nintendo because they're their hardware can't you know it's not in terms of power it's not that powerful and that's what they want to develop for um so as long as there's a good library which i think they you know they definitely can be uh for the psp2 i think uh i think we're gonna see some uh some sparks here uh, what do you got what do you think rob 
pretty much the same. I mean, like I said, handheld war. Uh, if if they can price comparably, you know, I really think like if they can match two fifty, like that would be utterly, you know, bazonkers gonna be a fight. Um, you know, we might see a new reigning champ in the handheld market. You know, that type of thing. Um, I, I like the list of features. Uh, it's definitely got more going on with it. I mean, the 3DS also has the gyroscope as well. Um, and the um, the 3G is a big deal. Like, that, without, like, even without, like, most of the other features listed, like, 3G on that is really a big deal on the, in the NGP, PSP2, whatever we're going to call it. Um because it really does open up the ability to really like play anywhere. You know, 3G is not blazing fast, but given given the like limitations of like, oh, you need to be near you know a Wi-Fi spot, you need to be near a hot spot. It definitely opens up the the gaming on it. Um, you know, touchscreen on the you know touchscreen on the back, touchscreens on you know touchscreens for the front, like the the screen itself being a touchscreen. Um, it has two analog sticks now. It, it was really like they had like a checklist of features that people said like this is stuff that was wrong with the PSP, and they were like okay, and they just went down the list and went okay, two touch you know two analog sticks, you know it's it's a sleeker system. Um, it's it, it, there's just basically looking at everything and doing it right. Um, I, really, the biggest things are going to be price. Um, I don't want to see it come out over three hundred because, like I said, two fifty is too much for a handheld. I mean, MGB kind of blurs that line, depending, especially on how much they can get as far as like, uh, you know, cell phone services and things like that. You know, if they can, if they can turn it into like kind of like a crossover, uh, you know, that that can help it too. Um, also depends on how much you know if there's going to be like some kind of package you have to pay for to get 3G or if it's really just going to be uh you know included uh you know you covered the camera on both sides which isn't really a huge deal but you know something else that's you can translate stuff that they've already had you know come out recently on the PSP um you know stuff like invisibles and augmented reality and stuff that they're doing with the move and translate that to a handheld which is very you know very much in line with what they're trying to do with things um it's you know it, it it's a nice piece of machinery um it also has like oled display which are really crisp nice displays for it as well um and given even with all the stuff that it's got going on on it uh like the estimated battery life is still pretty good because i mean those are all functions that a cell phone runs on and you know cell phone you know, you know smartphone battery life is is pretty decent even when you're sitting around and gaming and things like that um I think the only other thing that was a was a big change was the uh, idea of not having a uh, there's no no UMDs anymore, which is actually kind of a good thing. <laughs> uh, the you know it's it's going to be on cards, kind of like I mean I guess you can compare it to to DS card, but it's really they're going with the flash memory cards again, except now for individual games. Um, another huge thing is ability to play anything that you had on your PSP, minis, PlayStation 1 classics, and stuff from the PSN store, like comics and videos and all that stuff too. It's it's versatile. Um, if there's connectivity with PS3, yeah, you got me. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, actually, I got a little bit more on that, but I'm going to let Long you know, say his piece first. Okay. Um, 
as far as hardware specs, very impressive. I'm going to give my two thumbs up to Sony for really pushing the bar and just really pushing forward. The rear touchpad is really cool. Um, I think in the little PlayStation conference that happened earlier this week, uh, they have like little video that they had presented for everyone and everything. And one of the coolest implementations was in a game called Little Deviants, where uh, your fingers manipulating the back touchpad can actually manipulate the game because um, you'll like move your characters around and let's say your characters can't get over something, you take your fingers and you literally tap the back of the touchpad and then it'll basically bump the playing field and allow your characters to proceed onwards. And it also allows you to manipulate the landscapes in that game. So really slick Im implementation. I'm not going to lie on that. Multiplayer's really opened up as far as the NGP goes because... Um, now you have the built-in microphone. Uh, the PlayStation Network's going to be integrated into it. You'll be able to play on um, a Wi-Fi hotspot or um, play over uh, 3G connections, which is great because uh, that was the real big crutch uh, or the real big, uh, I guess you can say, frail point for the PSP that the multiplayer games, you're really stuck to um, gaming via ad hoc. So you had to find another person who was in the same room as you who had a PSP on hand before you could like really play multiplayer with them. There weren't very many games that you could play over the internet. And yeah, sure, Sony released the little ad hoc party software that you can run on your PS3, but your PS3 has to be wired to a hard line. And I th I really felt that was a halfway solution for making the PSP a multiplayer um, online via the internet sort of multiplayer deal. So definitely impressed with the options that they have for multiplayer. The GPS that's on board could prove to be very interesting for games that rely on local locations. I mean, think of how fun it could be for like a zombie twin stick shooter game, but it's but the number of players that are around you running the NGPs will also show up on your play field. I mean, think of how cool that could be. And then just uh, if there's a lack of players, then of course maybe the load uh, the load of things might be lower or um, heck, even a night and day sort of implementation on that, that if you're in a region where there's daylight out, then the game might be matching up what, uh, what the conditions are in-game. So definitely very, very cool implementations are possible with the uh, GPS chip on there. Um, as Rob said, you know, battery life's pretty good. It kind of matches up what is available on current smartphones today. And as far as price, um, Sony's been mulling about uh, making a model that has the 3G connectivity and Wi-Fi and then one that just has the Wi-Fi. Um, I will say that if they can make the Wi-Fi only model right around 250, then it could possibly put a dent into Nintendo sales. And I mean, if the 3G models just maybe a 50 buck bump that wouldn't be quite too bad but you know we're really gonna have to see but um, the little trailer that they had showed during the PlayStation conference earlier this week with games like Uncharted, Killzone, Resistance and Little Big Planet, um, Little Deviants you know just very slick looking games and just they look very very well made to implement all the new features that are going to be on this new NGP. But, you know, we'll really have to see how it turns out. And I'm 
uh, I for one will be watching Sony very closely for this one. Um, Jared, what about you, man? Well, I mean, you guys pretty much touched on even when I, I spoke a little earlier, I touched on uh, a couple things that I I uh, you know I like about it. Um, I, I did want to add something regarding the integration with the PS3. Um, everybody who has a PSP knows that the PSP, you know, you can do remote play and stuff like that, which I think are really cool features. Features that I actually use when I'm at home, you know. Uh, I have more and more on one occasion, got to take a bathroom break. I guess I'm going to play some Final Fantasy on my PS3 through my PSP. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I can't wait to see what, they, what, they wanna, what they're going to do because, you know, the PSP came out before the PS3, and it's still fully integrated and all they have all this great stuff. So I'm very curious to see what they can do for remote play options. And now that the NGP is going to be as powerful as a PS3, can you remote play like, you know, some, some downloadable games, like let's say Wipeout, you know, stuff like that. Well, if you already bought Wipeout on your PS3, can you transfer that over to your PSP? Uh, because if they, if they tell me that I'm getting one day, I'm getting uh one day one. you got me sold um so yeah i'm really uh really looking forward to it this is going to be an an interesting console uh handheld war um you know you know sony has already taken the spotlight from nintendo once (laughs) you know uh you know nintendo was on top before the playstation came out and then the the playstation came out and stole nintendo's thunder so now can sony do it again in the handheld market is the thing which you know Nintendo is uh you know they have the 800 pound gorilla of handhelds you know every you know they've had several handhelds come and they've all fallen down so we'll uh you know, we'll really see what happens there um something else that we're going to be doing during the, the this monthly podcast as uh, we pick one topic and we you know we discussed that a little bit and this month we chose to talk about Infinity Ward but not necessarily just Infinity Ward but the fact that it's taking three developers to develop Modern Warfare 3. And, uh, you know, that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, that says a lot of things. Um, uh, one thing it definitely, I think it definitely says is uh, the Infinity Ward staff is suffering, you know, with everything that's happening. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably already know about what's going on, what's going on with Activision and Infinity Ward or previous Infinity Ward employees. You know, there was some... Uh, there was a little bit of uh, some problems with, uh, you know, the previous uh, senior developers of Infinity Ward, and you know, they left, or I should say, Activision kicked them out, and uh, you know, now, and you know, a lot of their staff actually left after that. So, you know, if this is the first time we've heard of Infinity Ward needing additional help to finish one of their games, but just you know, it takes not one but two developers to finish Modern Warfare 3, and we're just going to go around. I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. So, Rob, uh, what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, pretty much what would first come into your head. <laughs> I mean, uh, as much as a good face as Activision tries to put on all the stuff that's gone on with Infinity Ward and that, you know, they're still perfectly okay, you know, everything is fine, nothing really changed when when Vince and Jason left uh, or, or ousted more, more so than left. Um, and then, like, they had their flight of the bumblebees of all of their, you know, talent in that studio pretty much, um, you know, and then they went off and, you know, made their own studio lawsuits rest is history um but uh 
you know, it, it, obviously it's not doing so, you know, it's not really doing so well. I mean, you're talking January now, um, when basically they've had since, well, since they take a year off of the development cycle, they've had all of 2010 basically to be working on the, you know, the next iteration of their game. And we're sitting in January of 2011 and it's getting reported. In fact, LA times, uh, was the first one to break it. Um, that they got reported that that's where the report came from that you know things aren't going that well because they had to pull sledgehammer off the the new call of duty game that they were working on and then pull in raven software to work with them you know both work with an infinity ward not just one or the other you know both you know sledgehammer to work with them on single player to you know to rattle out single player and then somebody else doing multiplayer i mean to me, that just doesn't smack of good things. Like, it, you know, as as much as, you know, the Call of Duty series has been huge and, you know, been like 10, 20 million seller every year since, you know, they hit with, you know, with Call of Duty 4, um, you, you can't see anything really good out of the handwriting on the wall with it. I mean, maybe something good will come of it. Um, you know, maybe some new ideas and things like that will be positive. But it, to me, it doesn't say very much about how Infinity Ward is doing at this point. You know, it would not really surprise me to see them kind of fade into the background because, you know, much like Activision did with Blizzard or Bazaar, not Blizzard, um, you know, what they did with Bazaar, they kind of love them and leave them. You know, if you're not going to do the do the good business for us, you know, or you can't put the game out on your own. You know, that's not a far sight to see them shove them off into some other game or have them work on something else and have somebody else step up to the forefront. You know, it's not like they don't own Call of Duty already and they don't own all the technology around the Modern Warfare games and Black Ops and stuff. You know, they can easily give somebody else that technology and be like, hey, go for it, you know, and see where it goes. Um, I mean, it's sad. A lot of people who play the Call of Duty games don't even, it won't even register to them that, you know, somebody else is involved with it or three developers are involved with it. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, people will be mad if it comes out and it's crappy, but they'll still buy it. So I don't necessarily think this changes much in terms of like how much of a juggernaut the game can be, you know, as long as it looks good to, you know, to, you know, the, the typical, you know, person who buys Call of Duty games they're still going to buy it. I mean, it'll turn them off, you know, for the next time, and word of mouth is a powerful thing, especially with those games. You know, your friend asks you, you know, oh, did you get the new Call of Duty? Is it sick? And he's like, no, man, don't bother. That spreads fast. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you might see yeah. you might see a big change in that, you know, that, that 15 million-plus cells, you know, that have been going on the last two years, you know. It, it just it's not good uh i mean sledgehammer you know a couple of the guys there you know worked on dead space and then went off and formed their own uh you know formed sledgehammer and you know got under an activision to work on a new call of duty um you know raven's been involved with different stuff they did uh what did they do last um ooh. quake four which um if i remember right it wasn't really that good and that's kind of why it splintered off and made Quake Live, but that's another story. Yeah, um, I'm thinking about another one. Oh, Singularity, that was actually the last thing they worked on. Um, and, you know, even that, that didn't really do all that hot either. Um, I, you know, I don't know what really is going to come out of three developers working on it. You know, it, it, it's been discussed that it's, it might be too many hands in the pot. It might not really work out that well. <laughs> um, but we'll see. Um, 
it, there is a joke in there somewhere too as well, considering two guys from EA left Visceral Games after Dead Space, made their own company, and then went to basically their rival to work on one of their big title games. There's a joke in there, <laughs> but I, I so uh, long. Your thoughts? Um, of course, everyone um, who is really into gaming and knows the drama between. Um, Infinity Ward and uh, the two CEOs, of course, leaving to form their own little uh, company called Respawn Games under the label of EA Games, and now EA coming under fire for espionage and sabotage. That that's a giant mess on its own. But um, as as uh, Jared had told us um, his thoughts earlier in, uh, before we started the podcast, you know, really too many hands in the pot and. Uh, when you have way too many hands in the pot, you know you start throwing way too many ideas in there, and everyone wants uh, wants their ideas to show up. And you know, uh, with three developers, man, not every idea is going to show up, and you're either going to have a game that's going to be very fragmented, or you're just going to have a game that's not going to meet the expectations of what um, every one in the party was hoping for. And you know, it's sad to see Call of Duty just fall apart uh, as a franchise, but you know. Um, sometimes the juggernaut cannot rain on top, and uh, just if uh, if EA pushes uh, their little crisis to um, mentality of we can beat Call of Duty, then you know um, who knows? Maybe Crisis Two, when it comes out later on this year, might actually just beat out Call of Duty. Who knows? But um, most of most of the Listeners who are listening to this podcast, they probably know how we felt on Black Ops. And, you know, uh, if if they heard us and sympathize with us, then, you know, they can already assume that we won't be crying too many tears when we hear Infinity Ward has fallen and Call of Duty is in the garbage can. So, you know, three developers does not mean three times the fun, guys. Just um, they should have just kept it simple and either said... You know, just have this team work on the game. We don't need three teams, but uh, I assume Activision's just riding on the former glory of Infinity Ward to carry them through. And, you know, that's really what's um, what they want to see happen, but honestly, I really don't think it's going to happen. Uh, how about you, Jarrett? Uh, well, as mentioned, as you said, you know, three times the bell equals three times, it doesn't equal three times the fun. Uh, because you know we opened it up to our to our uh, viewers you know, to leave some comments, and uh, White Lightning left a comment regarding the you know the the whole situation. He's actually kind of hopeful. Um, one, he's excited that Treyarch is not. He's, no, let me start this by saying he's a PS3 owner, and I'm not sure if you guys are, well, I know, I know Long and Rob, you guys are familiar with it, but um, the listeners, I'm not sure if you're really familiar. Everybody's familiar with what's happening with Black Ops on the PS3. Um, it's basically like a lot of it. Uh, well, most of the time yes. for Black Ops, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> well, to make a long story short, yes, it is. A lot of people complain complain about drops, freezing, making the game pretty much unplayable. So, first of all, he's happy that Treyarch is not being involved with this one. Um, he commended Treyarch for trying to do the fixes, but at the same time, he's saying, you know, they it's not they shouldn't. It's like they released the beta of the game as opposed to releasing. You know the full game, so he's he's very he was very uh, uh, he, he's happy that Treyarch's not involved. Um, second, he's also he he, def, he did mention that you know um, th- there there are developers who were uh, involved in Dead Space, 
and he is hoping that you know they really help the single player out because he's not a fan of the single player, and he's hoping that they'll you know, they'll make the single player better so he can play it for more than 20 minutes, and he thinks that three developers will uh, you know throw new ideas, you know more ideas are thrown on the table, which can make the game feel new as opposed to a $60 map pack. Uh, so he's actually hopeful, and I, I know he's not the only one feeling that way. Uh, there's probably uh, lots of people feeling that way. Now, me, on the other hand, I'm not feeling that way. Um, first of all, you know, I think three developers is too much for a game that only one developer has had to put out. You know, when you got three devs on it, um, that means your main studio is, you know, you're in trouble. Uh, I'm thinking we're going to... I don't think... See, Activision is the type of company that they just want you to put out blockbusters every year. Every year until that well is dry. So I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of innovation here. I think we're going to see the same product that we've been seeing for the last couple of years. Um, you know, Modern Warfare 1, Modern Warfare 2, and Black Ops are the same game. And you can you can say, I don't know what I'm talking about, or whatever, but... The, the word on the street is survey says it's the same game <laughs> you got a couple new features um you know new maps things like that but it's pretty much the same game no new innovation has happened and that's because they're pumping out the same game every year it's the same thing that happened that's happening with madden it's the same thing that happened with uh uh nba live which you know now of course is nba elite which didn't even come out um but it's the same game every year and that's what you get when you have yearly games but uh so I don't think we're gonna see a whole lot of innovation, which in my opinion opens the door for Medal of Honor, the new Medal of Honor that I, I, I know EA is working on because they already said um their plan for beating Modern Warfare or Call of Duty was to make better games, you know, better Modern um, Medal of Honor games. So I think it really opens the door for that because you know I'm really starting to hear people saying that it kind of getting tired. Even you know White Lightning mentioned that. You know, each game is uh, nothing more than a $60 map pack. So people are getting tired of the same game every year. Why would you spend $60 on a new Call of Duty if it's the same as last year? You might as well just keep the game from, you know, keep playing the game from last yeah, year. And that's what happens um, a lot of times, too. I mean, a lot of people, you know, picked up Black Ops. And it, it's funny because it's the community that really drives that kind of thing. It's, you know, because your friends have it, you get it, too, because that's how it's fun. It's multiplayer. You get it because, you're, you know, your friends have it and you can all play together. And it's quick how the turnaround, it's, 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 it's a cutthroat. The turnaround's real bad. If it, if your game's not up to snuff for people, they'll turn back to that old one. You know, people got Black Ops. A lot of people bought Black Ops. A lot of people went back to Modern Warfare, though, too. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. It's like, why am I going to play this game and then rebuild everything I already have in the other game? <laughs> you know? Uh, but this is, you know, this is just the result, like I said, of making the same games over and over again. And uh, eventually the well will run dry. People will stop buying the game, you know. But, uh, you know, when that happens, we're, I'm pretty positive we're going to see Activision and Infinity Ward part ways, you know. And if they can't get money for for Bazaar, you know they're not getting money for a fragmented uh, Infinity Ward. That's the truth. <laughs> you know, that, that is the truth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's just the way it's going to go. Um, I, I really don't. I think this is this starts the downfall of the Call of Duty series, which um, is kind of sad because I I love like my favorite Call of Duty definitely by far is Call of Duty Two, 
Um, I remember when Call of Duty first came out for PC and what made it so different, uh, how intense it was and how fun it was to play. It was an awesome game. And I was saddened to see that the game went from being this awesome, unique, intense game to, you know, just, uh, first of all, the, the gameplay was dumbed down, made easier. And that happens with any game you take from PC and put it to console, you have to make it easier. And people can argue, you know, I know there's people that's going to argue me about this, but they have to make it easier because you don't have the same reaction on the PC, as you do with console, yeah, you can even you, know, you can jack your sensitivities up all you want. It really it doesn't change anything. You know, keyboard and mouse will always be more, you know, accurate, faster than somebody playing on a you know on a joystick. It's just the way it is. It's not even a, a you know pro PC or pro console. That's just literally how it is why do you think that you know they play the big tournaments and stuff i mean they you know they've expanded them to consoles now too but you know in the heyday and even now still you know the big tournaments and stuff computer and that's what you do first person shooters on yeah man you just you can't beat pc and uh, pc but keyboard and mouse when it comes to control and reaction you know stuff like that but you know when you when you take a game that's that was built for pc well, that was originally the problem. Like, they would have these games built for PC, port them to console, and they just wouldn't do that well. And that's why, like, Call of Duty 2 didn't really do that well on the 360. But when they made the game for console, you know, it, you know, it did great on console. But as a PC player, when I played it on PC, I'm like, this game is so easy. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to play because the reaction times, you know, the, the reactions of the enemies just weren't there. They weren't as smart, you know. You know, and it just turned like the, the the whole Call of Duty series just turned into just a big cash cow. Like that's they really didn't care about the game anymore. They just cared about the cash that the game produced, and that showed more ways than one because you know Modern Warfare Two with the hacking and the bugs, and after it was released, it was almost like they didn't care. <laughs> you know, like people were crying, uh, crying about it, and they released like a patch or two didn't really care and even like i feel i feel for these ps3 owners with black ops because you know they can't they can't even play that game they spent 60 bucks once you open that game you cannot take it back yep. it doesn't matter how broken it is and you try and con you try and contact you know activision and try and get your money back because the game's not you know not up to snuff for like legit reasons it's not even like i don't like this but like this game is literally unplayable and they'll laugh at you you know that's just the way it is they're you're not going to get your money back from it really um, they even sent out like a, a petition um, about the PC and PS3 versions of the game because it basically they're being made to beta test something that they paid $60 for. And of course, obviously not right. You know, it's not it's not the way to do business. <laughs> I mean, it, you see it a lot more nowadays, especially, you know, that's the that downfall of being able to patch a game. But it, it definitely has turned into, you know, especially with that, that was really bad. The amount of bugs and, and things that were wrong with it, they still have not fixed. You know, we're, we're talking January, and they haven't really fixed all the issues. Yeah, actually, now you bring up the petition, uh, are you talking about the one from Gamer's yep. Voice in the UK? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they have a, they, a petition regarding the PC and PS3 bugs, and, uh, you know, they're absolutely right. Like, you gave us a lemon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He gave us a game that we cannot play. Uh, and, you know, p with PC players, it's one thing because Activision could always say, well, it's your PC. 
you know, it's Windows because, you know, there's so many different variants and different applications, different things that people have that can cause problems. But when you have PS3, you have, you have a console that is freezing up, locking up. That is a totally different story. That is, that is your fault, developer. You know, that is your fault, publisher. Um, so they, I think they're, they have something there. But um, in terms of uh, this whole thing going on with Infinity War, I think this is the beginning of the end. Um, I think uh, this this Call of Duty juggernaut is uh, will soon die. Um, I don't know what's going to take its place because you know, with the, even with our last, with our with our versus series podcast for MOH versus COD, we all agreed that the MOH multiplayer, uh, which is Medal of Honor, you know, in case you guys didn't catch that, but the Medal of Honor multiplayer was not as good as the Call of Duty multiplayer. Yeah, it just wasn't so. There. But mm, it just wasn't it's, there. It's the single player definitely set a new standard, but the multiplayer wasn't quite there. Um, you know, not to get you know, not to make this go too long, but the biggest thing that I think the biggest disappointment was actually, you know, aside from hearing like they need three developers to work on this game now, is the fact that it's Modern Warfare three. You know, like can we get <laughs> can we do something different? I mean, like when we did Modern Warfare, you know, when we did Call of Duty Four and did Modern Warfare, like that was a big departure. Now we're getting to the point where like having like you know a modern day you know military game that's kind of set in a fictional world, uh, over the top action movie style. That's become the cookie cutter. That's the new World War Two game, and it was kind of disappointing to see that that they're not going to get away from it. They really are literally going to you know beat that horse with that bat until it stops putting out money. <laughs> and, and that's about it. So you know, here and yeah, there. I think. I think- I think it's time for a future warfare game, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think Ghost so. Recon's coming. Although you know that series hasn't necessarily done all that well in you know past years, but you know the new one looks really good. You know, we'll see what happens, yeah. but it yeah. just needs to yeah, be I'm something gonna... different. You know what that is is you know up to the you know up to those people, the idea makers, but you got to have something different. <laughs> you can't keep yeah. doing this. If I see a Modern Warfare 4, I will go and I will stand outside with a strongly worded letter because I will not make any threats. <laughs> <laughs> it's blow building like, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm so angry, I'm going to write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> have the same effect letter. as like Copied. taking a pitchfork and a torch and going, I am going to torch that building and make sure they get the message. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, Homeland Security might be listening to this, so I'm not going to say I'm going to <laughs> yeah. blow up Activision headquarters, but I will stand out front with a strongly worded letter copied many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if we do hear, you know, uh, Activision's building getting uh, burned, the fl- uh, burned to uh, the ground, we know exactly what happened. Yeah, the so. other 15 million people that bought that game got tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's um. We're gonna go ahead and wrap this up here. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about. We're not really gonna talk any about February, but uh, th- there's a couple of things coming out in February that you may want to look out for in terms of games. Uh, Mario Sports Mix, uh, Dragon Quest uh, Six for the DS, which is uh coming out. Uh, and long you said there's a little history behind that. Long? Yeah. Um. Originally, of course, Enix was its own company way, way back in the day, and they were. Um, they had an a American branch in America, of course, uh, called Enix America. And uh, ever since the Nintendo days, they were releasing the Dragon Quest games as Dragon Warrior. Um, they had been releasing um, 
the games through through and through, and then all of a sudden around like 1995-96, Enix of America basically didn't have enough money to continue releasing and translating games, so they closed their operations down here. So uh, Dragon Quest VI never officially came out to America, and a lot of Enix fans were really, really irate about this because they had been waiting forever for a translation to come on by and for Enix to just suddenly close up and go. It just angered a lot of gamers. And now we finally actually get to see Dragon Quest VI, and it's coming out to the DS in English for once. Okay. Well, that's cool. Um, also, big uh, big release, Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Uh, so that yeah, comes out on the 15th. So, therefore, on the 14th, better make sure you take care of your girlfriend so she does not disturb you on the 15th because it is all about Marvel vs. Capcom 3. That's right, or even better, you know, get her to play with you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dude, you, you, listen, you do what you gotta do, okay? <laughs> you pick up the game, we'll see you online, okay? <laughs> we expect to see you there. Yeah. Um, I'm actually looking forward to doing the review on that because, of course... Uh, for those who have seen some of my little fighting game editorials and, and things like that, I do own two pro-level sticks uh, that are the exact same parts as the Japanese cabinets for most games like Super Street Fighter 4, Blaze Blue. So I'll be playing as if I'm standing right in front of the arcade cabinet. And um, I'll tell you this, I'm looking well forward to it. Yeah. I'm just going to use my Xbox controller. Oh, <laughs> how do you do that? No. <laughs> I know you got, hey, uh, the, you know, know you got problems with the, having the big hands and everything, but I don't know how you use that controller to play a fighting game. That's that's rough, man. It, it it's it's a it's a skill. Acquired <laughs> <laughs> skill. But uh, yeah, I mean the TS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what the thing is the I'm not a big fan. I don't have, you know, a fighting stick because I don't play that many fighting games. And the PS3 controller is just uncomfortable to me. I'm even going to get the PS3 controller that looks like a 360 controller. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna play it, and I'm going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will like it, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> but uh, other than that, you know, you also have Killzone 3 and uh, Bulletstorm which is coming out. So, you know, you got got some things to look for next month. In terms of events, um, GDC starts on the 28th. Uh, so, I mean, we really won't be talking about GDC uh, during the podcast. Well, actually, we may talk about GDC during next month's podcast, um, depending on... Let me just see quickly. Yeah, announcements and such. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the next recording is is going to happen right, right before GDC. So we won't be talking about next month's podcast, but in the you know month after that, we will definitely be talking about GDC and uh, also PAX in March, which you know we should definitely have some coverage for that because we will be there. But um, yeah. So uh, yeah, next month is GDC uh, starting the twenty eighth, which also means the uh, Indie Games Conference at GDC. So I think we're gonna see a lot of exciting stuff personally, because in my opinion, the con the indie the indie games uh market right now is really heating things up especially with things like uh you know xna coming out basically just the the overall accessibility of what the indie developers have but uh yeah so you can look forward to all that stuff next month and uh thanks for listening um any feedback or any you got anything to say just please you know leave a comment for us positive or negative you know we, we take those 
So, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening, and uh, you guys have a good night. Or day, depending on <laughs> what time you're listening. <laughs> what time you're listening to this podcast. Well, we'll see. We're hard at work for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you guys have a good one. <laughs> All right, see ya.